You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. And while you're opening up there, I'm going to have you put a thumb in Revelation chapter 5 as well. Quick comment on, on the name tags. How many of you ever come to church and, and you see somebody that you know that you've met before and you wish you remembered their name and because you don't, you want to avoid that awkward moment of having to go to them and say, I know we've met before, but what's your name? And so to avoid that, you just don't say anything to them. Has that ever happened to anyone else here? Happen, it's happened. See, we've removed that barrier Everybody's got a name tag on, I hope, if you don't, raise your hand. Um, Just for that reason, because I think it's incredibly important that as a church that we know each other. I I think it's important that we we know one another's names and we know the names of each other's wives and children. I think that's a really important part of being together as the body of Christ. And so that's really the reason behind the name tags, to remove that barrier. When you walk up to someone and say hello to them, you can, you can say hello to them by name without having to like, I know we've met, but I forgot your name. I, I, I do it all the time. I just don't have a lot of shame, so I don't mind saying, you know, I forgot your name. Um, remind me again, please, one more time. All right, if you're there, Ephesians chapter 2. And this morning, if you're physically able, go ahead and stand with us as we read from God's Word. We're really going to read from verse 11 through 22, but we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at verse 14 and 15 and 16. Let's read together. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came, and he preached to you who were afar off, and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 
Let us pray one more time. Father, we ask this morning as we just take a few moments, Lord, to open your word and, and to really study what it means to be one new man, to be a multi-ethnic, a multicultural, a multi-generational type of church that comes and lives and dwells and loves one another deeply. Lord, we pray that you would speak to all of our hearts and And God, I pray that you would remove any um, misunderstanding of what the church really is and give us an accurate biblical perspective. And we pray that you'll do a deep work in all of our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Have you guys ever asked yourself or wrestled through the idea of what heaven might look like? I know the longer I live here on earth, the, the more deeply my heart longs to be um, with the Lord. And so these things, these meditations, these thoughts go through my mind often. Well, this question was posed to a number of children. What does heaven look like? What will heaven be like? And these are some of their responses. Ted, an eight-year-old, he says, I think heaven will have doors that have your name on it. When you open the door that has your name on it, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff. Now, some people might have that perspective, but how about this one? It's where girls get turned into angels, and God does the best that he can with boys. That sounds like it was probably written by a little girl, if you ask me. Again, there are no doctors or lawyers in heaven. They don't need them because God does all the healing and because all arguments are against the law. Amen. Looking forward to that, right? I mean, I know some of you, even on the way into church, it's like arguments, right? I mean, that was, that was the story of my family. It would be like Sunday morning. It's like just at each other's neck trying to get out until I became a pastor. And now I just leave before everyone else. And so it's, it's not that I'm, I've, I'm any more spiritual. It's just I, I leave before they do. I drive to church by myself and... And um, it's great. So, (laughs) Well, fortunately for you and I, we're not left to guess what heaven's going to be like. I mean, there are some things. We get a picture of the new new heavens and the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. And and how literal it's supposed to be taken is is really hard to say. But but the one thing we do walk away with is that it's it's indescribable. That it's beyond comparison to anything that we can compare it to here on earth. And, and one of my favorite pictures of heaven and the activities that are unfolding in heaven, we really get this view in Revelation chapter 5. So if you still have your thumb there, flip to Revelation 5. I want to read two verses. Two, two verses that really give us a slice of heaven. They show us what it looks like in one sense. John writing in Revelation 5.11 says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. What do we see happening there? We see this worship service that's happening. John describes it as this mass of people beyond number. 
It can't be numbered this multi-generational, this multi-ethnic, this multi-cultural group of people. They don't, it, it's not the children are sectioned off and in one area over there. No, it's this multi-generational and ethnic group or gathering of people who aren't looking at themselves and my preferences and what I like, but they're looking at the one who is worthy to be praised. And, and it's my hope that as we come here on Sunday mornings and any Sunday morning, that it's not ourselves and my preferences, what I like, what I don't like, that we're caught up with, but the one who is worthy. Upon revelation of God, it would lead to an adoration in our own hearts. Well, that's, that's one of the glimpses. And what are they there for? They've been gathered together under the blood of Jesus Christ. That, that is the uniting factor for this massive group of people that we are dealing with here in Revelation 5. They've come together because of Jesus Christ only. They, they haven't come together because they look the same. They haven't come together because they have similar preferences. They like the same kind of music. They haven't come together because they're the same age. They've come together for one purpose. Jesus Christ has united them together. The blood of Christ has made one new family of people out of many families. The blood of Jesus Christ brings together one family, one church, under one Savior. And that's why it's important for you and I to gather together in this sense, in this, in this way from time to time as God's people, because this is, in a sense, what heaven will look like. We're not just going to all sit around and, and stare at one person, but the idea that we're all going to be together. We're all going to be, we're all going to be together, not just us. We're going to be, we're going to be with all those from all the other churches here in Paris. We're all going to be together. It's not, Baptists aren't going to be here, and the Methodists are going to be here, and the Calvary Chapelites are going to be here. And it, it, it's nothing like that. that we're going to be together. There's not going to be this idea of denominational divisions between Methodists and Baptists and Calvary Chapel and non-denominational and Presbyterians. And none of that is going to matter. We'll be one family, one church, under the reign and the rule of one Savior. Another thing that I love about this group, and we're going to get into Ephesians 2 in just a minute, is that despite their differences, they shared one connection. There was one blood that brought them together that runs thicker than any blood that this world could ever, could ever establish a family upon. And it was the blood of Jesus. And I pray for us as a church that as we come to a fuller understanding of what God has done, and, and th this is part of it. We're taking a break from the book of Judges because I feel like when we come together in this sense, it's important. It's an opportunity to help you understand what Christ has done in the world in reconciling people together to make one family. And the reason a service like this is important is because it shows the world that the reconciling power of Jesus Christ is far greater than anything that might divide us. That the blood of Christ that unites us is greater than any issue that might divide us. It's greater than any of my personal preferences. It's greater than any of your personal preferences. We're united under the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ. So according to the New Testament, if you want to flip back to Ephesians chapter 2, 
according to the New Testament, the church isn't necessarily just a big gathering of people who come and meet and don't really know each other. According to the New Testament, the church... Now, and when we talk about the church, understand the church isn't this building. Because one day this building is going to crumble, one day this building is going to burn, but the church will still remain. The church is the people. It's you, it's me, it's us here together. We're the church. We, if this building was to fall down tomorrow, when hopefully when there's no one in it, that if, if we wanted to meet at Wade Park in the pavilion, that would be church. So the, the building's, it's a cool place. Usually it's a cool place. I know it's hot today. But it's a cool place in the summer. It's a warm place in the winter. That's all the church building is. But the church are people who come together who know one another. Who know one another. Who bear one another's burdens. I was reading this morning in Romans. Paul says, to bear with the scruples of the weak. And that's one reason why we have felt led to make some of the changes that we have, particularly with Hallelujah Night, is because we've realized that as our church has changed, that there's a lot of you that I don't know, and and I really want to. And if we have a thousand other people that come who aren't a part of this family necessarily, and I spend all of my time getting to know them, and I spend very little time getting to know you and your spouse and your children then we're not, as a family, we're not any stronger for it. But I also believe that a church, a family that loves one another, is a great evangelical witness. It's a great evangelistic witness to a community who's looking to be loved, who's looking to find a place where they're accepted, with all of their failures, with all of their junk, and all of their baggage, a place that will love them, and accept them. I believe that is one of the greatest evangelistic tools we have because Jesus says in John 13 that the world will know that you're my followers. The world will know you're my disciples. How? And he, and he, by the love. By the love that you have for one another. And so God's kingdom love is paramount. And I believe that a family who comes together and knows each other deeply and serves each other passionately is a family that will endure much opposition and much um, hardship together. Well, that's what Paul is writing here in Ephesians chapter 2 to tell the church. Again, I'm going to read just a couple of verses. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision, those who were uncircumcised were were the Gentiles. That's, if you're here this morning and you're not a Jew, that's a reference to you. You're a, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. So he says, who are called uncircumcision, the Gentiles, by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. In 1945, Time magazine took this picture. 
It, it really is a remarkable picture, and it's become known to be a famous picture because of the things that the, the photographer really captured inside of there. It, it, my favorite thing about it is there's a Navy guy at center stage of the whole thing. Uh, I know some of you Army or Marine guys may not appreciate that, but I love it. I think it's fantastic. And then the sailor in the background, I mean, it doesn't get any better, does it? But if you look at this picture, there's, there's a remarkable exchange that's taking place between two people. There's an embrace, there's affection, and even in the foreground, you can begin to see, or in the background, you can see that there are people who are engaging enthusiastically and, and with great affection and love. Now, upon further investigation, if you're not familiar with this photo, all of those people in this picture, for the most part, were complete strangers. Now, guys, don't try this as a complete stranger, okay? There, and so when I was thinking about this and when I was looking at it, the question came to mind. Why or what would compel complete strangers to embrace, to have this effectual exchange, this meaningful embrace with one another? Well, if you're a historian, it was 1945 and the war had just ended. World War II had just ended. And what this photographer was able to capture in this embrace and the exchange of everybody involved is people's initial reaction to the good news that the war was over and that we had won. See, there's, there's a moral to the story. Is that good news, good news announced into a dark place brings people together. That's the moral of the story. Good news in the midst of tragedy and war and darkness brings people together. Well, 2,000 years ago, even greater news is the source or the cause of bringing you and I here together this morning. People who, who come from different parts of the world, people with different experiences, people with different cultures and heritages, people who are young, people who are old, people who are dark, people who are light, or if you're like my family, somewhere in the middle. But there is this reconciling power of the gospel that brings people together. And so when we think about the gospel, what, what is that? If it, gospel means good news, if there was this great news announcement two years, 2,000 years ago, what is it? Well, it's Jesus Christ died in my place for my sin. Well, if it's going to be good, what's the bad news, right? If it's good, it has to invade dark places in our lives. And the bad news is that we're all guilty. The bad news is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible tells us. And we need to be saved. Well, the good news is in light of that darkness and that failure and your failure that Christ has come into the world and that he's died for our sins because he's holy. And a holy God cannot overlook sin. But he is both the just, he's just and the justifier of our faith, Paul tells us. And in his grace, Christ died in your place. He died in my place to pay a debt we could never pay because we don't have the right currency to pay it. He's done that to reconcile you back to him. And that's the good news. 
the good news is that God has done all of that for you. And he's done that for me. But the, re, the reconciliation that is the result of the gospel is even wider reaching than that. You see, it not only reconciles me to God and you to God, but it also reconcil- reconciles us to one another. Because here's the thing, sin, sin fractures relationship. If, if you don't believe me, sin against your spouse or a loved one and, and see how that goes for you. Right? Sin fractures relationship. But listen, the gospel reconciles fractured, broken relationships, not just with us and God, but with you and I together. Jesus has come, as Paul shows us here in these verses, to restore relationship um, vertically and relationship horizontally. And that's what Paul is really announcing there in Ephesians chapter 2. The Jews, those who were of the circumcision, and the Gentiles, those who weren't circumcised, he says, Christ has created in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Look at your neighbor and say, he's created one new man. He's created one new man. Now, this only, this only really makes sense if we understand the history between the Jews and the Gentiles. These, these, these weren't, they weren't buddies. They, they, they didn't do anything together. They didn't dress the same. They didn't look the same. They didn't smell the same. They didn't hang out in the same places. They didn't worship the same. I mean, if there were two groups of people that were at odds and were different from one another, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, they were radically different. And not only that, they were at odds with one another. They, were, they, were, they weren't friends. They were enemies. In fact, you could say they were the ancient version of the Hatfields and the McCoys is what these two groups of people represent. So just think about how... Um, scandalous it would have been for Paul to write and say, you two who are at odds and who are enemies with one another in Christ have now been brought together and made one new man, one new family, not because you worship the same, not because you look, smell, think, or eat the same, but because you come from the same bloodline, Jesus Christ. You're one new family. I think something we need to recognize in our day and age is that when Paul came into a town to plant a church, he didn't plant a church on the west side for the Jews and a church on the east side for the Gentiles. When Paul came into a town to plant a church, Paul planted one church for all those on the west side and all those on the east side to be able to come together because Paul believed in a gospel that was big enough to reconcile people who were different. Paul believed in a gospel that was bigger and stronger and more glorious and more wonderful than anything that could divide the body of Christ. And Paul believed in a gospel that could bring and unite those who were radically different from one another. Now, does that mean it would be easy? No way. I mean, think about your family reunions. Are they easy? (laughs) My family has family reunions about once a year and I don't go. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) I love them. I love seeing them for a few hours. But I don't go because it's just, it's too much drama. And so when we think about the church, is there going to be drama? Yeah, there will be. 
That it, when, when you bring people who are totally different together, is there going to be challenges? There will be. Is everybody going to look the same? No. And it's a good thing, right? Is everybody going to act the same and think the same and worship the same? No. But the blood that unites us is greater than the issues that divide us. And so Paul says that you have been brought together. And as one new family, as one new man that he is reinforcing here, the, the substance of those relationships is supposed to be love for one another. What is supposed to characterize the relationships that you and I have together? Love. See, Paul's not impressed with your theological knowledge. Paul's not impressed with your biblical knowledge. Paul is not impressed with your spiritual gifts if you don't love people. That's just the reality. And what does it mean to love people? Because, man, I've been hugely challenged on this. You guys would think that pastors should be loving, but I'm not always. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says, gives us an indication what this looks like. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't act loving if you don't have love in your heart for someone, basically. Don't, don't pretend to be loving in front of people if there's no love in your heart for them. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference, did you hear that? In honor, giving preference to one another. And so when we come and we gather together and we assemble in this setting, do we come with well, my preferences being met or how can we minister to the need of the person next to me? It's supposed to be giving honor and preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble do not be wise in your own opinion. And Paul goes on and on, and he gives us this framework to understand love in many different places. But the substance of, of what this should look like is love for one another. Love for one another. I said on Wednesday night, last Wednesday, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, that the biggest indicator of how much influence Jesus has over your life is how well you love those who are different from you. That is the greatest indicator of how much influence Jesus has over your life. How well you love, not those who look like you, not those who act like you, not those who think the same as you, but how well you love those who are different from you. Because Jesus says, look, it, it's of no value to love those who are like you. That's easy. But to love those who are different from you. He doesn't say, again, it's not theological knowledge. It's not how well you behave. Your personal behavior is no indication of how much influence Jesus has over your life. What it all boils down to, Paul says, that you can be the greatest intellect. You can be the most spiritual person. You can have all of these things together. But if you have not love, he says that basically you're, you're, you're not really, you're not the real deal. 
he says. And so he boils it down to love. Now, later on in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this in verse 2. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So if we've been called by Christ, if we, are, if we belong to him and we carry the name Christian, what does that lifestyle look like? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, what does he say? Bear with one another in love. Why do we work hard to love one another? Why should we strive to love those who are different from us? Why should we seek peace when at all possible with all people? Because it's a testimony to the reconciling power of Jesus Christ in relationship. It's, it brings Him great glory. When we show people that, that the The love of Christ is big enough to reconcile different people and and to put them in a setting where they can rub shoulders together and they can still love one another, that they can put each other's preferences before their own. It, It shows the power of the gospel at work in our hearts and in our lives. Well, sadly today, we're trying to erect a wall that Christ sought to tear down and has torn down. Anytime we divide upon theological differences, anytime we divide upon preferences, we're erecting a wall that Christ has already torn down. And it's this it's the sad state that we find ourselves in today as a church too often. Because what Christ has done is he's created one new man. One new man. It may look different in, in its character and nature but it's one new man now what does that mean what is the result of being one new man and i'm almost done it means because of the good news because of what christ has accomplished like those in these in that photo that we saw that you and i can love one another we can celebrate our differences we can celebrate the work of christ on our behalf It means that we have the opportunity to live life out together in community and in in small group settings where we can bear with one another and we can love one another well because there's one thing I've realized in the world is that there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of broken people. And there's people that you interact with every day that are incredibly broken and hurt people. And God puts us into a family that we can help each other, that we can bear those burdens, that we can do this thing together. Well, it also means that as a church, we will only be as strong as our relationships are together. If we're a church that have a number of people who gather together, if we're a mile wide and an inch deep We will never be the church that God really wants us to be, nor has sent his son down into the world to die to create. If we don't know one another deeply and serve each other passionately. And for all of those reasons and more, are really the intention or the motive of of doing something like this, or doing like we are tonight with Hallelujah Night, that we can know each other. Now, will there, will there be a lot of kids here? Yes. And if you're older, do you have kids? Probably, probably not, but that, it's still an opportunity to love those with small kids by coming here and serving them and talking to their kids and giving their kids lots of candy. 
Unless it says Velarde under it. Don't give him a lot of candy. Um, that's what it means to be a church, to put my preferences aside. You may not have kids, but I encourage you, come out here and serve those who do. Love on them. Be an encouragement to them. Help them along this journey of life. Well, here at Calvary Paris, living life together in that kind of a relationship is really what we call in-reach. It's the second part of our vision. And our in-reach here, I, I really want you guys to know what it is because there's often a lot of questions that we don't do a lot of in-reach. A lot of the in-reach that we do, our primary motive of us loving and serving and bearing burdens and just the nitty-gritty of being the church is done in, in the life group setting. That, that's really our vision. That is our goal. It's a critical part of what we do because we can't accomplish that in this setting. But when we get shoulder to shoulder and we open our Bibles and we have a piece of pizza in our hand and we have a cup of sweet tea here and we're able to share the hard things of life with those next to us and they're able to come alongside us and to encourage us with their life experiences, with the Word of God and through prayer, we grow into being strong and able to endure hardship. And so... Life groups, the, the media team has put together just a short video to really show you, just to give you a taste of how life groups have impacted those here in the last few years. Life groups, what do they do? What life group allows us to connect to people on a personal level. It's impossible for the pastor and the staff to connect to every single person in the church. And the church needs to be church. The church needs to be disciple. People are coming hurting. People are needing attention. People need counseling. And man, the life group allows that. It allows people to come together at a smaller level, kind of a cell level, kind of a small group level. Uh, to connect, to study the Word of God, to where you're one-on-one, -on -one, to where you're in a small group, questions get answered, prayers go up, people get supported, there's eating, which is a great thing, I love to eat, love food, love spending time with people, you get to do some missions together in your community, it's just a great, great, great thing that we have going on. So life groups is one way, but some of the other things that we do is an annual or a seasonal event. In the a April time, we do um, a family barbecue and sports day out at the pavilion at Love Civic Center. We do 4th of July events together. We do annual VBSs for your children. We have ladies Bible studies. We have small men's groups that meet throughout the week at different places. There's a Christmas Eve service. We have new to Calvary Parish classes. There's a lot of opportunity to get connected with people. And, uh, a, a word of feedback that I often get back from people is, is they have expressed some form of um, dissatisfaction is that they've had a hard time connecting with people here at Calvary Paris. And, and I get that. I get that. If you just come in on a Sunday morning and, and you go out, then you're going to feel that way. But if you take that next step and get connected, like Ted said, to a life group, th there's this form of connection and relationship that happens on a much deeper level 
where we go from feeling like an outsider to an insider, like I'm a part of something meaningful and substantial. And so as I get ready to close this, Greg told me I only had 30 minutes, but he should know me better than that. But um, as I get ready to close this thing out, that was, that is the heart behind why we made a decision to change Hallelujah Night. To become more of an in-reach opportunity for us to know one another. I think it's so important. I'm so glad that so many of you new faces are, are here and a part of what we do. But I would encourage you to take that next step of involvement, a level of involvement, and come out tonight so we can celebrate the work of Christ on our behalf together in loving relationship. I believe it is our cross love for each other that proclaims the truth of the gospel to a watching and skeptical world. And so if you're new here, um, I encourage you just to hang out. If you're not new here, hang out in the cafe today. That's why we've got name tags, so you can meet a few new people. We didn't have a meet and greet here because we want to do it out there after service before you head out to lunch. Take a moment. Step outside your comfort zone and get to know a few people who you don't know or you haven't seen before. And so this morning we wanted to do something different, and I wanted to teach something different just to really reemphasize to you the importance of doing this and things like Hallelujah Night so that we're all on the same page and you guys understand my heart in the matter. And so let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for your work on the cross, which reconciles us not only to you, but also to one another. And God, may we live that out every single day in relationship with one another. And I pray that you would show each one of us how we can take that next step to connect with you, but also your people on a much more intimate level. God, that, our, that we can be known to others and that we might know others in a meaningful way. Lord, we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Go ahead and stand with us as we close in a song this morning.